Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Man, it is sizzling here, man. And it is humid. Wow. I mean, D.C. is humid in the summer, and I love D.C. It's my hometown, but my goodness, is it humid in the summer. You know, I know Wilbon loves to say how gross it is in the summer. He's right. I mean, it's okay. Still the best city in the world, way better than Chicago. But (laughs) it's really hot and humid here. Really, really hot and humid here. And that heated toilet seat is so great. I have not stood up <laughs> to take a number one in nine days. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. And that, of course, is why we want Steve Sands on the show whenever he's available to us, even from continents away. Uh, Continents, incontinence, number one, sitting down. Oh, we made it, made it back to the hotel in time to order dinner. Uh, yeah, because at 7 o'clock, you, you can't order after 7. You can't eat. can't order a drink after 7. You've got to clear out by 8. It's done. doesn't right. matter. Uh, Michael Kornheiser is here, across from me on Uncle Benny's table. Nigel is here. We're not in studio, as I said. We're going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. This is the second of three shows. Um, there's two things that I want to begin with. One will get me angry. The other will <clears throat> get me a little bit less angry. But get me. I'm going to start with, because Michael's here, I'm going to start with the vegetables that I'm trying to grow. Michael bought a beautiful, large planter last year. Oh, yeah. I have the two, cedar wood planter. Yeah, I have two tomato plants. I bought these plants. Then, you know, they probably were $5 each when I bought them, when they were very small plants. I'm pretty sure I bought them. Is it is it Lowe's that's up in the shopping center where Jim Coleman is? You went to the Home Depot Garden Center. Home Depot Garden Center. So I bought four tomato plants: one a cherry tomato plant and three uh, regular big boys. I've gotten nothing. I, I not only have gotten nothing, and I water every day. I not only have gotten nothing, not even buds. There were some buds at the beginning, and there was some growth. I think I took one tomato out, and I think that varmints have gotten all the other tomatoes. And now there are no tomatoes. There are what appear to be, <clears throat> well, one of the plants died. One just didn't make it. But the two in the planter are large and leafy, and they have produced nothing, absolutely nothing. Whereas my peppers, Jesse, I bought four pepper plants, probably three bucks each or something like that, and I've had peppers. I've had 10, 12 peppers. Uh, it, the peppers have been great. Blossom end rot? Any problem with that? A or? little, but not much. Okay. And, and you put them in, <clears throat> even if you pull them when they're just turning red, you put them in a brown paper bag and they turn a little bit more red and they're crisp and you they're, cut them and you eat them. They're really they're good. They're very good. They're really good. My peppers are really good. And I and the tomatoes, it's made me sad. So why do you keep I think starting I need with netting. The, why do you th- start with the price of the tomato plant? Are, are you surprised that for $5 you're not getting more or... No, I'm, what I'm saying is that it's not like I invested $50, $60 a plant. It was not all that much. But I, I really hoped, because I, I watch them. I yeah. think about them. I try to care for them. And I got nothing, nothing. I walk through the neighborhood. I see other people's tomato plants. They're filled with tomatoes, bright red tomatoes, filled with them. I got nothing. You know, normally, I would question the sun, but you actually get, no, even, though, even though it's on the north side of the house, it's, it's on sun. a deck, so it's elevated, and it gets great sun throughout the day, and it's not like it's a, it's a super harsh afternoon sun. What know. I'm thinking is, 
Um, I'm thinking when you first planted them, we probably had some really big storms, and I think that messed up the roots on the ones that aren't producing anything. Really? Because the peppers, which are planted less than a foot from them. Now, do you have any like fertilizer that you're using, like a tomato food for it? No. I gave up. I started to weep. I did. So what happened when I was a kid? You used to plant tomatoes every summer on the side of the house. And we got them. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I got worse. You just put the cages up like one month in and then you got tomatoes. Did I, did, you know, I I don't. No, I think it's the vomits because. And I don't, uh, maybe I need netting. Yeah. But I, I don't know how to, I don't. Not only am I not capable of putting up the netting, Michael would have to do that, but I don't know how high you put it because it would then stop and curtail the growth of the tomato plants as they grow up if the netting is, is too right, far and down. Right, and it can't be too close because then you don't want it to be a cage that the varmint can then use to climb on and get closer. I don't, I don't right. have... I'm hoping that somebody will say to me, here's what you do. And please don't say to me, just go to a roadside stand, because I understand that. Yeah, well, yeah I understand that. Norman's. That's, point of that's yeah. where we get our real tomatoes. Right. I like to grow the tomatoes. I, right. I like the satisfaction of seeing. Like, I get great satisfaction from the peppers. I have four pepper plants. I will probably get a total of about 20 peppers all in, and that'll be great. It'll be great. I'm happy for that. I'm happy for that. So the second thing I wanted to talk about I, 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 I loathe doesn't go far enough on Wander Suero. It, it, it just doesn't go far enough. And I don't understand if I could just be alone with Davy Martinez for less than a minute, for less than a minute, I would just say, why do you keep putting him in games? He's terrible. Why didn't you say to the Dodgers, you must take Wander Suero or we're sending Scherzer to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you say that? We're giving you Scherzer and Turner and you must take Wander Suero. And once he leaves the airspace of Washington, we don't care what happens. Uh, addition by subtraction. We don't care. <laughs> he is so terrible. Do you want to describe what he did last night? And Why are you putting him in? If you want to put him in, if you're up five or down five, say between the fourth and the seventh, knock yourself out. Put him in the game, and when he's terrible, which he's always terrible, he so nonchalantly walks off the mound at the end of the inning as if he has accomplished something great. So what happened great. to Kyle Finnegan, who won well, multiple games I, over I the weekend? I guess they felt his arm was tired. Sure, but this was the this was the bottom of the order against the Phillies, right? You had, a, you had a two or three run lead at the time. This, so, so this was uh, the end of the evening where Liz and I had a beautiful dinner out, so my sister-in-law, Kate, went ahead and made us a reservation uh, at at et voila, et voila over on MacArthur uh, okay. in the Palisades. And so we get back, and I'm at a point now where I'm not even watching the game on TV. Do you know GameCast if you're watching through like the MLB app? I don't know what app, that is. I watch the, the game ESPN on TV app. till I fall All right, asleep. so it, comes, it, it gives you the box grid, <laughs> and it I gives do. you, you know, pitch red, by pitch, yeah. pitch by pitch, and it's always a little bit delay. And then there's a pause where it's not giving you any action, and you're waiting. <laughs> at the end of the game, it's very stressful, and it goes, in play, Yes. period, <laughs> outs the worst is when it's a super delay and it goes in play runs and you know it's going to be a big number because it's just it keeps tallying and tallying so klobatsis gives up i don't two care singles. you know what just let me say about klobatsis who cares you're not going to be around next year it's okay i hope he is he reminds me of the second season of the wire i think he had the early shift <laughs> uh, so he gives up two singles they bring in wander Swero, whose mo oh. is he never cares about other people's runs no right? lets them all in yeah let those let's guys them come in, in quickly yeah because he's normally in a sixth or seventh inning he goes that eh, they'll move past me pretty quickly he's he's not supposed to pitch the ninth inning uh so then he gives up what is it he gives up a double to segura and then he Gives up. Uh, he he intentionally walks Harper. He then. gives up five runs. They don't, or they're not all charged to him. He gives up five runs in the inning. 
five runs. He does this all the time. Again, what is the clinical definition of insanity? It is repeating the same act time and time and time again and expecting a different result. Why is he in the major leagues? Why is he in these games? Why does Davey Martinez put him in? It's it's death. That's what it is. Follow-up it's question. death to the team. What do you think of uh, Suero's stuff today? Oh, he had really good stuff. Yeah, it, really was good stuff. it was popping. It was pop. So I and am the, texting back the worst and forth. Part, Go ahead. The worst part, then, it's the bottom of the ninth, and the Phillies bullpen is the exact they same thing. So they quickly <laughs> give up a two-run homer to, to Carter Keeboom. First of all, please just put Carter Keeboom at shortstop. You don't have a shortstop. He came up as a shortstop. You made him a third baseman. See if he can play shortstop in the major leagues. That's number one. Number two is I am texting back and forth wildly with Kirkjian. Well, I shouldn't say back and forth because it wasn't coming back to me. <laughs> Just Kirkjian and Ravi are were, doing the game. Were they working on a Monday night? Yeah, they were doing the game. So it's on ESPN as well as being on Masson. And I went to ESPN because it's Kirkjian and it's Ravi. Sure. And, um, and Eddie Perez who's you know, very good. Um, Eduardo Perez. He's very good. But I don't know him. I've never met him. So I'm texting Kirkjian, and you can see that he's reluctant to text back <laughs> during the game. Ravi's not reluctant, but he just says, yeah, what? You know, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't really care. And, and the, the spine of what I'm saying is, why is Victor Robles in the game? Victor Robles, his, his entire offensive output is to get hit with a pitch. It happens every game. He gets hit every game with a pitch. He gets hit on his left elbow every single game, and he goes to first, and he doesn't score. It's an Espinosa move. It is August. We are two-thirds of the way through the season. He has one home run and 13 RBI. It's terrible. These are probably the worst numbers of a regular starting player in the major leagues, probably is my guess. He plays center beautifully. He's a great fielder. He's Michael A. Taylor, who doesn't even hit as well as Michael A. Taylor. Mm. And I keep writing, why isn't Stevenson playing? Why isn't Stevenson playing? Stevenson comes in, pinch hits a home run. <laughs> a home run. So at one point, Kirchin says, he's not playing because he's left-handed. At that point, they had a left-handed pitcher in there. And I said, but he hits. Yeah. He puts, hits. He puts the ball in play and right. runs wildly. Right. He hits a home run, and I text them repeatedly again, as I said, why isn't this guy playing? Why? They don't even respond to me. Then I stop I at, about, at about, then I'm talking about Josiah Gray. I think they call him JoJo. JoJo Gray has a very impressive five-inning debut. Yeah. I did say to Ravi at the end of five, I said, I think you take him out now, right? And he goes, yep. And they do, and they take him out. And, and he doesn't get a decision. He's down 1-0. Down 1-0 when he leaves, but he's pitched very well. Then they bring in this other kid, and he pitches a very good inning, and both Gray and the other kid get out of jams. They created the jams. They get out of jams. I'm feeling pretty good, and it's the 6th or whenever, the 7th, and I nod off. And then I wake up this morning to a bunch of texts from people like Bill Isaacson and Steve Rose, and they say, I hope you went to sleep. And I go, oh, no. Oh, no. And it's Swero. It's Swero. You, am I wrong in this? Why do you put him in the no, game? I, it, what, what's infuriating to me is you are getting more and more correct about this every single time he gets in the game. I've hated him for years. Yes, you have. You know, as Chuck Todd pointed out to me, they were able to deport Brad Hand to Canada. Yes. Right? He's with the Blue Jays. Why can't something be done about Suero? And every 
the people that I go back and forth with, they know they're so happy that I went to sleep and didn't see Swero do this because I would never have slept as a result. He's awful. He and Hand were the worst. Rainey used to be the worst. This Rainey would come in and Rainey was tremendously frustrating because Rainey actually does throw the ball 98 miles an hour and still doesn't. It goes to 0-2, then 3-2, then walks somebody, yeah. then hits somebody. Yeah, you know, Always ahead in the count, though. Always. Always ahead in the count. Can't somebody, can't Davey Martinez go out to the mound at 0-2 and say, throw the next pitch for a strike. Right. Keep throwing strikes. If they hit you, I'll live with it, but throw strikes. I just, the bullpen, yes, the Phillies bullpen is every bit as bad. I think people say the Mets bullpen is every bit as bad, too. And that's, so again, if you look at the season with where the division is, you don't know what's going to happen over these next seven weeks, yet we won't be involved in it. No, we don't. Yeah, we don't even have division games at the end of the season. I I understand. Red Sox. We're a Triple A team right now. The Nats are a Triple A team, and it's not that I expect them to sweep the Phillies. But this game, they 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 can win this game. Phillies aren't any good. The Phillies are more disappointing than the Nats because Phillies everyday lineup and their starting pitchers. You say to yourself, this team should win the division. It's been three years now. They should win the division, and they don't win the division. Um, and people who are from other parts of the country or don't care about baseball, they go, oh, let's just fast forward through this. We don't, why does he do this? Why does he care? And I said this to Wilbon the other day on TV, the, the function of a fan, you root for your team, you, you have heartache when they do terrible things. You have heartache when they trade everybody away. Mm-hmm. But you continue to, you watch because, you know, that you have to persevere. The only task for a fan is to persevere. And if you are a fair weather fan, you're not a fan. You're not. So in my late stages of my life, I have attached myself to the Washington Nationals, which was great. Well, yeah. You know, when they were competitive and they won the World Series, it was great. And and the last couple of years, last year was a strange year, but it's this year has been, it's been compounded so much by trading everybody away. I just, in a 24-hour period... They took the, the whole center of the team. They took the rod that held the spine together, and they broke it into a thousand pieces, right? Yeah, when you just look at if you closed out a couple of games the week prior, and you, you, wouldn't actually, have done and, it. you wouldn't have done it all, and you look at wouldn't these eight games it. against the Phillies, you had these circles. If you had won six of these games, wouldn't have done it. you would be near first. And they interviewed Mike Rizzo last night, and he said, yeah, we got to do this. This is important, and we're going to be great. <laughs> okay. We'll take a break. Uh, Mark Feinstein, speaking of baseball, Mark Feinstein will basically review what has happened after the trading deadline, who wins, who loses. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Wow, this is Simply Safe, Ed. This is really new copy. I've never seen this before. Listen to this. When Simply Safe Home Security's founders, Chad and Eleanor Lawrence, they're into, you know who does that as well? Brooklinen. Oh, that's right. They talk yes, about their fonders. That's right. Right? Vicky and Rich Fulop. Okay. When Safe when Simply Safe's home security's founders, Chad and Eleanor Lawrence, designed their first security system in their kitchen. They did it for a very personal reason. Their friends had just had their home broken into. They were struggling to find a security system that was simple to set up and would make them feel safe again. Whether this is true or not, it's a lovely story. Somebody was getting into the cookie jar. It's a lovely story. <laughs> Making people safe is what Simply Safe has been doing ever since that moment 15 years ago. 
A passion to protect people not only drives every engineering detail in its products, but it motivates every interaction with its customers. And the thing is, Simply Safe just makes it so easy. It takes about two minutes to customize a system on their website, simplysafe.com slash Tony, S-M-I-P-L-I, Simply Safe. Simply Safe has highly trained security experts ready when you need them. Whether it's during a fire, a burglary, a medical emergency, or even just when you're setting up the system, there's always someone there who has your back to keep you safe and make sure you feel safe. As my listener, <laughs> so personal, as my listener, you can save 20% on your Simply Safe security system and get your first month free. Wow. When you sign up for interactive monitoring service, just visit simplysafe.com slash Tony to customize your system and start protecting your home and family. 20% off Simply Safe security system and first month free, kids. That's simplysafe.com slash Tony. Use the code. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Deanna DeVore sends this in. Hi, Tony. How are you? Hope things are well. Wanted to share my new single that dropped yesterday. It's called Need to Know, and the very talented Deliles joins me on this song. I was hoping you could put it on your podcast again. Of course I can. <laughs> you're talented. <laughs> I'm not. Yes. I just babble. Again, Deanna DeVore. Playing in Mark Feinstein of MLB.com. I, I, I just spent too much of my life talking about Wander Swear, so I'm not going to do it for a while. I may do it, but not for a while. Let's start with the notion the dust has cleared. The trading deadline is over. You're set with who you've got, you know, barring call-ups or I guess that September 1st thing if somebody clears waivers and you can add somebody if that still exists. Mark, what was the biggest surprise to you? One player going somewhere or one team doing something? The biggest surprise to you at the deadline? I think the biggest surprise to me was probably Craig Kimbrell to the White Sox. You don't you don't see sort of crosstown rivals trade big players very often. The White Sox spent fifty something million dollars on Liam Hendricks this offseason, so you weren't really thinking that they were going to be a team in the market for the best closer available, and all of a sudden they, they got him, and you're like, wow, and they got Ryan Tapera from the Cubs, so all of a sudden they've got, uh, you know, a really locked down bullpen, which we know Tony La Russa really enjoys having. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, the White Sox were sort of in that mix with Boston and Houston and Tampa Bay and the American League, and I think they may have, they may have separated themselves a little bit. We had that on the air. Um, there were four free agents that went someplace, and Wilbon and I were talking, and the question was, who, you know, who did the best? And I said, I thought that, that Kimbrell did the best because he didn't have to rent a new apartment. He could still sleep <laughs> in his own bed. I mean, he didn't have to. He switched teams without having any of the hassle of moving. Who did, of the contenders, and maybe you've answered it, maybe you think it's the White Sox, but of the contenders, of playoff contenders, who do you think did the best, and who do you think did the worst? Well, I think the best has to be the Dodgers. I mean, when you add, you know, one of the five best pitchers in the game and, uh, you know, one of the five best shortstops in the game, uh, I think that that's a pretty good haul right there. They, they paid a price. They gave them the top two prospects and a couple other guys who uh, have pretty bright futures. But the Dodgers are a team that has developed uh, so much talent that they could afford to do that, right? Their number one prospect, Kiba Ruiz, is a catcher. Well, they have Will Smith, who's like a 25-year-old all-star catcher. So uh, they can they can deal. And they also have a 19-year-old catcher who may be even better than him. So they dealt from strength. They dealt from having the financial flexibility of being the Los Angeles Dodgers to be able to take on these guys. Uh, they now no longer have to worry about 
what happens with Corey Seager and after the season and going to find a shortstop. They have Trey Turner for next year. So I think the Dodgers definitely did the most in terms of which uh, contender did the least. I'd probably have to go with the Rays, maybe. Uh, they have Nelson. I think every, you know what? I think the one thing we saw in this in this deadline is that every contender addressed their needs for the most part, right? Maybe Boston. Boston didn't do a whole lot, but they've got Chris Sale coming back as a, as a sort of a deadline acquisition. Um, I think every contender did enough to try to cement their status. Okay, so what just happened, you wouldn't know this because it sounds like it's completely seamless. What just happened is once again Comcast went out on us, which happens on a regular basis, happened last night at the PTI show, and we lost Mark and we lost... Sean, but we're back with Mark, and I believe, if I pick this up correctly, you had said that the team you thought had done the best was the Dodgers with the acquisition of Scherzer and and Turner, and I don't know that you had said yet which team you thought did the worst. Well, I kind of said I think every contender, for the most part, addressed their needs. If I had to pick one contender that probably could have done more, it would have been the Red Sox, I think. And I I didn't say that before, but during our little break here, I had some time to think about it. Um, You know, Kyle Schwarber could be a good pickup for them if he can play first base. Uh, there were some first basemen out there that would have helped them more, I think, just because that's the position they play. But uh, looking at the overall landscape, I think most contenders um, you know, were able to address some need that they had um, and, and you know, give themselves a chance here. Was there a player who you thought was going to go somewhere, you were confident was going to go somewhere, and ended up not going anywhere? Well, Trevor Story should have gone somewhere. Uh, the Rockies did not trade him. They're not mm-hmm. going to re-sign him. But what's interesting is the interim GM in Colorado is a guy named Bill Schmidt, who has been running the Rockies draft for about 20 years. And, uh, you know, if Story takes or gets a qualifying offer and signs somewhere else as a free agent, the Rockies get that compensation pick, which will be right after the first round. So for a guy who's a draft guy, you know, he's valuing a 32nd, 33rd kind of pick in the draft with what he's being offered for story, uh, and he felt that was a better thing for, for him and for the team. So, you know, impending free agents on really bad teams usually get traded. We saw that happen all over the league right now. Yeah, but the Rockies yeah. held on to him. Trevor Story wasn't particularly happy about that, and uh, I think these are going to be an interesting last two months for him in Colorado. There are two perennial contenders who have no money. Tampa Bay and Oakland. Year after year after year, they contend and they make the playoffs. Most of the time, Oakland goes out early, but Tampa Bay got to the World Series last year. Did they, at one point, it seemed like Nelson Cruz was a high-value money guy to Tampa Bay. Did Oakland and Tampa Bay, did they go for it? I think they did. You know, Oakland Oakland got Starling Marte, uh, who's a very good center fielder. They traded a a big-time left-handed pitching prospect, Jesus Luzardo, for him. Um, but Miami is paying all of Marte's salary, which is something that a team like Oakland needs to do to pick up a guy like him. They also got Andrew Chafin from the Cubs. They got your guys, Jan Gomes and Josh Harrison. So they really supplemented their roster uh, in a number of ways. And I think, uh, you know, they they certainly did um, what Billy Bean and David Forrest always do, which is when they see a window to get to the playoffs and contend, they do what they can to try to upgrade that roster. Billy Bean has always said he feels he owes it to the guys in that clubhouse and to the fans that if there's a chance, you've got to go for it. The Rays, Nelson Cruz, I thought was a great acquisition. Um, you know, they, they were in talks about some much bigger guys. I mean, they were talking to the Cubs about Bryant uh, and about Kimbrell. It didn't, didn't pan out. 
Um, but Eric Neander is a great executive, and he always finds a way. And even as they're adding Nelson Cruz, they traded Diego Castillo, their closer. They traded Rich Hill because they have so much pitching depth that, you know, once these guys are no longer necessarily, um, uh, you know, either they're making too much money or they're just depth that they don't need. I mean, a 41-year-old guy in Rich Hill, the Rays have, you know, 12 guys in the minor leagues who throw 98 that they can bring up and, 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 and be just as good. So uh, I think both those teams did, did their jobs and accomplished what they needed to going into that deadline. Wasn't it Kevin Cash who said last year when Araldis Chapman threw at somebody, he said, we got 10 guys that throw 98 <laughs> if you want to go down that road. Wasn't that him? I, think I, be- that was I believe him. he said, I got a whole stable of guys who throw 98. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that inspired some yeah. very interesting T-shirts around the Tampa Bay area. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the two teams that sold off, that really sold off dramatically, are the Cubs and the Washington Nationals. Why do you think they did that? I mean, the Cubs, uh, I feel the Washington Nationals sell off more than most other people do. But the Cubs, their three best players, Rizzo and Baez and Bryant, they're all gone. Why did both these teams do that? I assume they did it just to give you and Wilbon something to talk about on PTI. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think with the Cubs, they had all these guys who were coming up for free agency together. Uh, you knew that you weren't going to be able to re-sign all of them. They tried to talk to each of them about uh, potential extensions, but uh, it just wasn't it just wasn't happening. So, um, you know, they could have held on to Kimbrel. He was he was controllable for another year. But once you're trading Baez and Bryant uh, and Rizzo, and you know that that there's going to be some sort of a reset here, Kimbrel was one of the best assets on the market, and they were actually able to get uh, you know, a starting second baseman of the future and Nick Madrigal and, and a, you know, really good young reliever and Cody Hoyer for him. Um, I just think this is the way that, that, you know, this goes sometimes. And I think for the Cubs, I mean, I remember walking out of progressive field. I think that's what it was called at the time. It may still be in Cleveland after the Cubs won that world series in 2016. And you know, I was walking back to my hotel with another writer. And I said, so how many of these do you think we're going to see the Cubs win? And he said, I don't know, probably three, maybe four. And, and we just thought this wow. was going to be the beginning of this young, unbelievable dynasty. The Cubs have a ton of money. They can keep these guys. This could be like the 90s Yankees all over again. And, you know, it's really hard to win. And I think the Cubs proved that with what we saw in 2016. The Nats were a different story. You, you know, you had yeah. Scherzer headed for free agency. You've got Strasburg's physical situation. Uh, Turner was a year away. And I just think if they were, if the Nats were in it, they wouldn't have sold. But once once they got swept by the Orioles, uh, that pretty much was the clearest sign that uh, selling was the path. Even though they were only what five six games out of first place, uh, it just wasn't meant to be this year. And I think Mike Rizzo realized that you know for the Nationals to be sellers, that's not Mike Rizzo's DNA. He is not a guy who likes to pack it in. So you, you, I'm sure that was a real long hard decision for him and for the front office and ownership. But um, you understand where it comes from. Uh, I, I didn't understand Turner going at all, uh, and but let's say, let's say everybody is now right, and it means that they put all the eggs in the basket of Juan Soto. If you're Juan Soto, why are you going to sign with a team that's a 40-win team? Why are you going to do it? Well, here's the thing. They got some young prospects, and Juan Soto's not a free agent for, what, two more years, three more years? Yes, I mean, he's got some time. 24 So, okay, so they've got some time to show Juan Soto, we have a plan here, and by the time you're going to be a free agent, because you know he's not signing an extension before then, uh, by the time he's a free agent, 
their hope is that they will have turned themselves back into a contending team uh, and be able to sign him. And, you know, when he signs the, the world's first billion-dollar sports contract, um, that that's going to be a, a big key for him is whether or not uh, he thinks that this is a team that's going to be able to win. He's gotten a taste of that already. And, uh, you know, so this is setting that plan in motion almost two or three years ahead of time where – uh, you don't want to be a good but not great team, have all the free agents leave, and then all of a sudden Soto is the only player left on a 50-win team. Uh, so now they've got a chance to spend a couple of years of this uh, rebuilding process and, and get themselves back to the contending point uh, to convince Soto that this is the place you want to spend the next 10 years of your career. Let me go to Fernando Tatis Jr. He's on the DL again. I think this is the third time. He hasn't stayed on for a long period of time. But this is the third time, and it's the third time with that same shoulder. How concerned would you be that this is an injury that, that is you know, going to be persistent and he will never shake it? Well, I'd be concerned if he doesn't have surgery. You know, if, if you have a lingering thing that keeps bothering you and you know, there, there are ways surgically to repair these things that uh, I think will hopefully get rid of it. That's not good news for the 2021 Padres if he has to have surgery. Um, they, they re- you know, they're reevaluating him in about a week. It seems like from people I've spoken to, there's a little more concern than there maybe has been before because uh, that would really uh, be a big uh, hinder- hindrance to their, their uh, title aspirations this year, their playoff aspirations. Even the Reds are all of a sudden just uh, you know four games behind them for a wild card spot. But I think long term I wouldn't necessarily be uh, worried yet, but uh, you know it's certainly not what what the Padres want to hear, given the season they're having and given the fact that they just sunk three hundred forty million dollars into the guy. Yeah, I get you out of here on this. I was reading the crawl today on ESPN, and uh, I see Josh Hader is out with the virus, and I see Garrett Cole is out with the virus. Somehow, I naively thought the virus was done in professional sports. And, and you wouldn't have to worry about it. The Nats came down with like 19 cases, and everybody says that they're all vaccinated. What is, what is baseball's thinking about this? Why is this happening? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, we, every, time, every time we talk about COVID, my answer is always I don't know because none of us know. And I think when you, when you see, I mean, look, you know, the Yankees had a bunch of COVID cases right after the All-Star break, and everybody said, well, most of them were vaccinated. Yeah, but obviously some of them weren't. And if somebody who's not vaccinated brings it into the clubhouse, then uh, that's going to that's gonna spread. Um, and if you have it and you were vaccinated, it's going to spread. You know, I think the thing we're learning about the vaccines in sports and for all of us regular people is uh, it doesn't necessarily prevent you 100% from getting COVID, but if you get it, you're going to be a lot less sick than you were. And that's why we haven't seen, uh, you know, anybody in baseball, and obviously they're young, healthy, athletic people. Uh, you haven't seen anybody have real bad symptoms. You haven't seen anybody. You know, the, the people who have tested positive, test positive. They sit out about 10 days, and then they pretty much come back. And I think that's what you'll continue to see. Um, but it's just a reminder that, that this thing is still out there. It's still part of the real world, and you can try to take the protocols you, you want. But, um, you know, when you have 25, 30, 40 people in a fairly confined space in a baseball clubhouse, that's, uh, that's probably not the best, the best way to avoid spreading this kind of thing. Is baseball convinced that they've had the vaccination rates that they want, or are they lagging behind? No, like they're, they're seems doing pretty be. well. I think almost every team is, is up towards that 85% mark, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I think they've been pretty happy as a whole with the way that 
the way that the league and the, and the players have responded in terms of getting vaccinated. There are still going to be those who don't get vaccinated, and uh, it doesn't seem you don't seem to hear as many. Uh, situations in baseball that you were hearing in the NFL with all these coaches coming out talking about the frustration that their players won't get vaccinated yeah. and how it's going to affect them during the year. Um, so I think you know I think that that baseball as a whole is is pretty happy with with the rate okay. of, uh, of vaccination of the players and staff. Thank you, Mark. Sorry the power went out. Glad the power came back. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Tony. Mark Feinstein, boys and girls. Some people will be disappointed we didn't talk about camp today. It was not a camp day. <laughs> it just wasn't a camp day. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Chuck Culpepper, we hope, is going to join us from Japan when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Freshly ad. I like Freshly. I've had it. I've cooked the meals myself. Dinner time can be chaotic, but with Freshly, it's easy. Their chefs take care of your meals a few nights a week, take the pressure off you. We're all trying to get in shape and eat right. Well, not all of us. Not all of us. Freshly can help. Their delicious meals are designed by nutritionists and cooked by chefs, making it easier to eat better. Are you stressed? Are you tired? You don't feel like cooking? Food that's fast doesn't have to be fast food. Freshly offers quality meals without the hard work of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. Freshly offers chef-made, nutrient-packed, delicious meals delivered fresh to your door, no cooking required. Grocery shopping and cooking can be a pain. And with Freshly, you don't have to do it. Your meals arrive cooked and fresh every week. You can keep your fridge stocked and you can skip the trip to the store. Ordering is easy. You visit Freshly.com. You choose from over 30 delicious, satisfying, better-for-you meals like steak peppercorn. I had that and liked it. Sausage baked penny. Had that and liked it. Or the chicken pesto bowl. Not a pesto guy. No, not me. Freshly can fit your lifestyle with a variety of plans and meals to pick from that work for your dietary needs, preferences, tastes, and family size. And now, listeners to this high-quality podcast can try Freshly for just $6.16 per meal. That's an odd number, six sixteen per meal. Stop searching the internet for healthy food near me every night and start living life freshly. Right now, Freshly is offering listeners to this show $40 off your first two orders when you go to Freshly.com slash Tony K. Stop stressing about dinner. Go to Freshly.com, F-R-E-S-H-L-Y, Freshly.com slash Tony K for $40 off your first two orders. Freshly.com slash Tony K, $40 off your first two orders. Don't be stupid. Use the code. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Our old friend Don Stewart has sent in another song. This is called Proud. He writes, it got a little preachy when I wrote the lyrics. But I was trying to tell a story about something that happened to me when I was a kid in Beaumont, Texas. I was wandering around during a summer evening and I discovered some big event was happening at French High School, just a few blocks from where I lived. I heard music playing. I followed into a packed gymnasium where the high school band was playing Stars and Stripes by John Philip Sousa. I'd never heard Stars and Stripes. I didn't know who John Philip Sousa was. When a kid in the band stood up and started playing the piccolo at the end of the song, I was blown away. <laughs> Years later, when I took my family to D.C., we sat on the steps of the Capitol. We listened to a military band play that song, and I could still see that young teenager playing the piccolo. felt the same way that I felt the first time I heard the song when I was 10 years old. It's another song, but I like it. Thanks for playing the songs. I've gone to military concerts on that mall. They're great. It's impressive, isn't it? They're great. Michael, if people like Don Stewart want to send in his original music, how does he do it? Uh, send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. And you can listen to the song at the end of the podcast and not hear us. We go back to Tokyo. We've done it for Barry's Verlugo. We've done it for Steve Sands. We do it now for Chuck Culpepper. Chuck Culpepper has been 
Riding in the Olympics in the way that you want to ride in the Olympics, in the way that if you're a magazine writer, you go to the Olympics. I'm assuming, and I read, I mean, you went to golf, you went to weightlifting, and wrote a golf story on, on Xander Schauffele, and his heritage was tremendous. The story on the transgender weightlifter, which I believe is in the paper today, I certainly read it online last night, is absolutely tremendous, Laurel Hubbard. And now I'm told you went to sailing. So my obvious question is, do you have free reign to go where you want? And do you, and I'm assuming you do, you listen to where everybody else is going and you say, I'm not going there. I'll find something else. Well, thank you for saying those things. And it's twofold, maybe. I'm kind of viewed as a bit of a nut, which is accurate. So... Um, they want to hear what I propose to go to. So, for example, I love going to see the South Korean archery team. So that was one of the first things I did. I just love. I did that in Athens in 2004. So I just love seeing them play. I guess you call it. I don't know. And then the second part of that is um, is that I tend to be fascinated with stories that are not American necessarily. And so I, I, I love learning about say how much the Fijians love rugby. And, and I went to sailing today where, you know, you have, you had a Hungarian sailor who was talking about how we don't have any seas in our country, but I, I won a silver medal, which is incredible. And then uh, tomorrow I'm going to water polo where, where Hungary is the all time yes. uh, dynasty in water Best. polo. So, yeah. And and all of its neighbors are its biggest rivals. So I just love those kind of Olympic global things. I love learning about the world in that way. I tell the story all the time. I went to weightlifting in Atlanta. It's the greatest event I ever went to. And nobody wanted to go to it. Uh. Now, I was a little, it's a little different when you're a columnist. A little different. Because when you're the columnist, you need to be plugged into the big story. And so if you're going to write, say, 14 columns in 14 days, three or four of them can be offbeat. But you can do every offbeat story. Is there a do you think there's a philosophy to it? And I don't want to get pretentious here, but I can tell you what my philosophy was when I went to an Olympics. I knew I honestly knew what I was doing, and you know what you're doing, right? You there's a design to this. You have an overarching philosophy, I assume. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think sports is the best lens on the world and the best uh the best way to learn the world the best connector in the world by far um and so that's how i see the olympics you know is just, just learning about these places and i believe if you're talking about the weightlifting between naim suli managlu and yeah Valeris leon i was more weight yeah yeah it's great way way <laughs> and then you know pocket hercules he would go smoke and uh, smoke he'd the, have cigarettes be between the lifts you could see him <laughs> on the side of the stage smoking cigarettes uh, and he's four foot ten the strongest guy in the world i was i was captivated i i mean you know i really was were you at that were you at that in atlanta i was it was a staggering oh. event it was just, oh. they kept putting yeah yeah it's it's a most, most everyone who was there would still talk about it. I was talking about it the other day in a few texts with, uh, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski, who I sat next to at that, at that event. It's been well, 
I didn't know anybody there. I went there. David Remnick said, you ought to check out weightlifting. I said, what are you, nuts? He said, no, you ought to check. And it was just, I remembered it. It was just so great. And you were there and Woj was there? I I had no idea. Obviously, I had no idea. I I just, I love that. Do you get, do you have, we, we have conflicting reports as to what is going on in Tokyo proper, away from the Olympics. Steve Sands was saying that it's basically shut down, but we got an email the other day from someone serving in the military that says it's absolutely the way it normally is. And, and so because you wander, because you go to things, do you have a sense of Tokyo, a sense of Japan relative to the incredible lockdown of the Olympics? So what I've seen so far is from bus windows, mostly, or taxi windows. Yeah. And yeah. it looks maybe half normal in the middle of the city, you know, not as crowded as you would expect it to be in, in the world's largest metropolitan area and maybe not as, you know, shoulder to shoulder on the sidewalks and such as that. But today, out at the sailing, which is an extraordinary place called Enoshima, a little island, um, the beach was packed with people. Um, it's a gorgeous beach. We don't think about beaches when we think about Japan, but Right. I mean, there right. are plenty of them, and and uh, and it, it, there were guys carrying surfboards out there. There were it just looked like a regular beach resort town. It looked normal. If I if I could do it all over again, and I wasn't a columnist, I would go to sailing. You know what I'd go to? I'd go to dressage. Yeah. That's probably away from the city. It's cool in and of itself. Have you been to any of the equestrian events? Do you plan to go to them, or are they already done? I had dressage on my list actually because it's one, that's another of the great dynasties and it's Germany and and then yeah. Great Britain won it in London 2012 and that was a big deal you know but no I've missed it this time that's one of the things is it's so sprawling oh, it always is that there are always things when you leave you go well somebody at home who watched that on TV knows about a lot more about that than I do when I was here. So I, I remember in Atlanta, um, we had to drive about three hours to the women's softball. You know, it was on a military right. base you know, on, a, on the corner of uh, Georgia and Alabama. Yeah, I've forgotten right. the name of, of, the, of the base. But, I mean, I, again, I did that. I, that's why I so admire what you're doing. I, I'll just give you one regular question. And I know it's not your bailiwick, but I wondered if you think what I think, which is, I hope this Italian sprinter thing isn't too good to be true. I hope that isn't, oh. you know, a drug pop or something like that. Because you, if your best is ten oh eight, and then you go nine eight oh in the finals, and the guy next to you doesn't know who you are, <laughs> I mean, it just it right. just feels like, you know, I wonder if they're even testing because of all the COVID. I wonder if they're testing in the same way. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, uh, I. Isn't it the first thing that goes to mind now? It just is. It's we're a long way from Seoul in 1988. You know when when yeah. Johnson ran against Carl Lewis and and what a wow event that was. And I don't think we thought about things the same way at that point in history as we do now. But but when it's something like this now, I mean, last night I was at the weightlifting, and that was part of the talk. Is oh the you know, while while we waited for her to come in for the interviews, the weightlifter from New Zealand, Laurel Hubbard, while we waited for her, that was some of the chatter was, oh, I hope that that's exactly what you said. I hope that Italian story is 
is uh, legit and not, you know, there's no problem there. But I guess the the years have uh, taken our minds to a, a new place about these things, for sure. We're much more, oh, what are we? What would you say it is? Uh, realistic? Or would you say cynical? I would say realistic. I'd say realistic. I mean, I was at Olympics where entire country weightlifting teams were sent home. They said, God, get out of here. <laughs> you guys aren't clean. Just kidding. It's like the Tour de France. So who's, who's clean in this? Nobody's clean in the Tour de France. The swimmer, the American swimmer, uh, at first he said, I'm not accusing anybody, which is nonsense. He accused all the Russian swimmers of doping, right? He did that. And, and yet I don't know that anybody's been popped. I don't, so I'm wondering. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm wondering it too now if, uh, if the testing is somehow uh, less active or stringent than usual. I have not even thought about that the entire time. Uh, let's talk about Laurel Hubbard. Let's talk about this. To explain to the people who Laurel Hubbard is, what she did, um, and all of the sort of swirl, you know, because this gets to who can compete and who cannot compete and what's fair and what's not fair. Laurel Hubbard is a Kiwi uh, weightlifter who competed as male up until 2003, 43 years old now, born in 1978. So uh, competed as male until 2003 and, and really uh, got into the sport. She, she has said in, in interviews, and in, in, this was in 2017, got into the sport as a way of saying, you know what, maybe if I express masculinity in this very masculine sport, it will repair me in some way. Well, that's not the way the world works. And, and so uh, she got, he, he got out of the sport and then transitioned. Um, and then she has reentered the sport in, uh, since really since 2017 and in Anaheim won two silver medals in the world championships. And then, uh, and it's, you know, this, this is a discussion that's underway in the world. I don't think science is caught up to it to help us explain what's fair here but it is a very difficult discussion because you know you've you've had a lot of people from the prime minister of Samoa to coaches in Egypt to a weightlifter from Belgium to a former weightlifter from New Zealand to the Australian weightlifting federation to um this organization in Australia that's trying to protect you know, women's place in sports, and these people have deep concerns about this. And then on the other side, you have the rules, which she was abiding by, which call for a certain amount of testosterone over a 12-month period, which she completely passed that. So, you know, it's this is a really, really hard issue, and it, it's it's fraught, it's emotional, it's, you know, it's... Oh, and, and here in the middle of it, it's it's loud, and here in the middle of it is this quiet person who seldom does interviews and really just demonstrated a lot of dignity, uh, has all along and did again last night. The quotes are great from her. They're absolutely great. And, and I will yeah. just say this editorially. When you take a position in this and you shout other people down, it is not easily dismissible on either side. It's just not. This it's is, not. right, Chuck, this is a worthy discussion. And, oh, this and, is a, oh. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and the, the loudest people in the room are the ones that need to leave the room because the other side has a point. I'm saying this for both sides. Um, and That's I right. say this as a sports yeah. writer over a long period of time and somebody who remembers Renee Richards. 
when she, you know, was on the tennis tour and all the fear about Renee Richards, and she won maybe one tournament. I mean, Laurel Hubbard couldn't lift the weight yesterday. Couldn't, right? Took three tries, couldn't do it. And, and just, I don't know, there was something about it just looked like the whole, you know, that word Olympics gets in people's minds and it's such a big thing. And it just, she just, she just looked to me like, you know, she, she felt it. She felt the, the, hit the, the weight of the moment is, is not a good pun or anything, but she felt the, uh, the history. I think it was heavy, the history. It just looked like it was. I don't know for sure. She didn't answer any questions after her beautiful statement, as you say, but, um, yeah, it just, you know, and, and this is a case where there are people who, here, here's an example, uh, I read one coach saying, psychologically, she has an advantage because because back long ago, she already listed the, these amounts of weight. So the, the body has that in the memory. But now the body is so different. This is a it's different. This thing is really hard. There, I, there was a New Zealand weightlifting coach on a, on a radio show there talking about there's no right or wrong in this at the moment from what we know. And so it's just like, you say, Tony, those who are screaming right or wrong at others are just not helping. No, they're really not. And and the story that I read, she comports herself with great dignity as she addresses all these things. I mean, it's really, it's really a good story. And nobody's going to find that story except somebody like you who is deliberately staying away from all the other people. You know, and that, that's the way it works. You sit down and there's a meeting. You know, before you go to the Olympics, and then daily there's some sort of meeting on a newspaper, and people say, well, what are you writing, what are you writing, what are you writing? And at the Washington Post now, somebody's looking at Culpepper and saying, well, wait, wait, he's going over there. <laughs> Don't worry about him. He's going over there. And over there happens to be where the best stories are. I mean, every once in a while, look, when I was in Lillehammer, there was one story and one story only, and it was Tanya and Nancy. And I understood that. And I wrote the hell out of that for about two weeks. And because that's what people cared about. And that was my job. But your job is to find things that actually, you know, change somebody's perspective when they read about it. I'll get you out of here on this. And it's the question that we ask everybody over there. Have you eaten anything really weird? What are you eating? What, is your, what are your meals like? It's so hot that I notice if I eat a full meal... I start to get queasy. That's one thing. So I, I've been eating a lot of almonds and walnuts. I'm eating like a squirrel, really, sort of, you know, <laughs> just very limited amounts of, and and I haven't been freed yet from my 14 day, you know, soft quarantine, whatever you call it. I'm about to be freed in about three hours here, so I have not had a real meal i just they have these little peanut cream sandwiches at all the at all the venues and uh i've been maybe trying one or two of those but but and they're strange but they're lovely so i haven't had anything you're doing a terrific job thanks for coming on the show it's always a pleasure for me thank you so much yeah me too be good thank you be good you too chuck culpepper boys and girls uh we will take a break and we will do email and jingle when we return i'm tony kornheiser this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show.
World champion whistler Chris Ullman from Binghamton, New York. Thank you very much for that. The Bethesda bagel ad, Nigel. Uh, Bethesda bagels. Uh, we got the bagel sandwiches yesterday. Just got great bagels today. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say this pretentious, ponderous group of rock psalms prompts the question, on what day did God create Spinal Tap? And couldn't he have rested on that day, too? That's from the rockumentary by Marty DeBerge. Right? Marty DeBerge. Yes. Uh, thanks to our guest today, Mark Feinsand, Chuck Culpepper, both great. Thanks as well to our sponsors, Simply Safe and Freshly. And remember that you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Let's read. Adam in Haymarket, Virginia. My name is Adam. I'm the first name of all names, as in Adam and Eve, for those who are living under a rock. Boom goes the dynamite. Adam LaPera. Uh, Jeff Piggott, our old friend from Des Moines, Iowa. I was watching a bit of the NBC Olympic broadcast just before our late local news. As the network portion concluded, a graphic popped up saying wardrobe for on-air talent provided by none other than Indochino. My dog Maisie and I were in the family room. I told her, hey, I know that suit. Maisie was underwhelmed, but the experience of a David Aldridge clothing moment is one I will not soon forget. Hit him straight. Um, from Bob Barrett in Pensacola, Florida. Recently, you gave the definition of a David Aldridge moment. It got me thinking about a moment that may qualify. My father was the manager of a Chase Manhattan branch in Brooklyn. In 1972, his bank was robbed and he was taken hostage along with his entire staff. Yes, I'm talking about the robbery that was made into the movie Dog Day Afternoon. Wow. Where I add parenthetically with Al Pacino and John Cazale, and yes. it is a great movie. Phenomenal. Fast forward a few years later, and Dog Day Afternoon is in the theaters. My sister and I watched the movie together. There's a scene where Pacino and the bank manager, as my father called it, a classic cinematic performance by the immortal Sully Boyer, went into the back room. Pacino asked the manager, You got kids? To which the manager replies, Yeah, I got two, and I'd like to see him again. My sister and I looked at each other and had the same thought. Hey, we know those kids. So does a passing reference to yourself count as an authentic David Aldridge moment? I'll hang up and listen. It says, a few years ago, P.S., a documentary about John Wojowicz, the original bank robber who was played by Pacino, came out. It's called The Dog. In it, they ran some of the news coverage from the day of the robbery. There was one clip that lasted about eight seconds from an interview my father gave to WCBS Radio the day after the robbery. And that, I believe, is an official David Aldridge moment from Nathan Zack in Springfield, Illinois. The new guy in my office drives a Subaru. What's the quickest way to get him fired? <laughs> also, please tell Dr. Jordan Williams to eat it. We don't know who that is, so we're happy to do it. From Alex Lau, our friend Alex Lau in New York City. I went to my fridge the other day in search of a healthy snack. I combed the shelves and found some fantastic looking pre-cut watermelon. I reached for it, but instead of thinking of the juicy deliciousness that awaited me, I instead thought of the old orange man that hates the stuff, so I had grapes instead. Congratulations, you've now ruined watermelon for me. P.S. Enough of these complaints from people about their first names. I share mine with the guy who helps Tony golf at his favorite, at one of his favorite courses, Pinehurst. Alex Podligar, of course. All I can do for Tony is write these stupid emails. From Shad. We haven't heard from Shad in a while. It's good to hear from In Shad. honor of Ron Popeil. Pocket fisherman, to set it and forget it. Everything is sales. <laughs> from Paul in Mainville, Ohio. Paul... Kitcho. 
Maybe a road trip, normally a one-day trip, but for you probably two, six hours-ish. Minor League Baseball in Erie, Pennsylvania, my hometown and hometown of the Wonders or the O'Neaters, will be celebrating the 25th anniversary of that thing you do on September 4th at UPMC. I imagine that's the ballpark, UPMC, right? As part of the celebration, the Seawolves will welcome Tom Everett Scott, who is Shades in the movie, Jonathan Shaich, who is Jimmy Mattingly in the movie, Steve Zahn, who's Lenny in the movie, and Ethan Embry, the bass player, to UPMC Park. They are throwing out the first pitch and then replaying the movie after the game. Custom jerseys as well. I'm sure you get a custom one with Lachiserie on the back or Chatter, <laughs> R.I.P. I, you, know, you know who else is from Erie, Pennsylvania? Andy Byer, oh, born and raised, and did, Sharon Stone. Did not know that. Yeah, they're from that area. Sharon Stone's from that area. Andy's from Erie. Wow, I hope, he, I hope he goes. I hope it's great. David the Paper Hanger in Palm Beach, Florida. The song Never Been to Spain just shuffled its way into my playlist on the Spotify. Halfway through singing along with the second chorus, I abruptly stopped and looked around, first in shame and then confusion. My question is, do we like this song? Are all things Three Dog Night taboo or just the obviously awful ones? I kind of dig it. Should I add this to my list of reasons for self-loathing or is this song okay? If you've gotten this far, any chance of being the official wallpaper hanger on the show? Yes, (laughs) certainly. That's easy. And I've never been to Spain. I don't hate Three Dog Night like Jeannie does. Yeah, I sort of like Never Been to Spain. I don't like Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog. I don't think it's very good. But, you know, but I didn't hate that song. From Carla Carrada. On Tuesday's Jeopardy game show, they posted a listen-up category. With unbridled confidence, I knew I was primed to sweep that sitcom category with show (laughs) trivia that I can't shake even though I try. I knew. Who is Jason Alexander? (laughs) Alex would be the easy $100 answer. What is it lasted on CBS for one season? And so on. Shockingly, this category had nothing to do with the listen-up that we know. I feel cheated by this bait-and-switch. And And from Sean Lemley. Yeah. From Sean Lemley. Hello. I've been finding it difficult to hear the host with all the background noise on the show lately. Would you kindly discontinue all of your inane sports chatter so I can listen to what Chessie has to say? If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. And uh, tell me, you brought three of your friends. Could you please introduce Yes, there's George Palisol, Ringo Stone, and former Charmley. (laughs) 